0: Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts, and we have a very special treat for you today. Sam, and I'm going to try to get your last name right, David Niyagam is with me. Yes. You, you. you
1: did very well. Thank
0: you. Okay. okay. You can correct me. Yep. Sam is a, a friend that I met through C12. Uh, he spoke at the last conference a couple of years ago. Both of us were speakers and we kind of hit it off and uh, had a lot of fun. And so I'm looking forward to everybody hearing his story. He is the president and CEO of Parts Life. You'll hear more about that business. It's an aerospace and defense manufacturing company. So very interesting business. But he's also the author of a book called The First 10, Run, Ten Runs in Singles Life Lessons from the Gamer Cricket. And uh, I pretty much say I'm like every game with a stick in a ball. That's the God only gave me two skills, maybe 10 yards of a little bit of speed. After that, it's, everybody overtakes me and a slight amount of hand eye, but I've never played cricket. So someday you got to get me on the pitch. So, done. Looking forward to hearing about that and the life lessons from Ma.. Uh, but so once again, Sam, thanks for being with us.
1: Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, now you had a very uh, interesting upbringing. We, you know, we almost always start with, uh, where did you grow up? What was that like? I think your story is slightly more interesting than most, certainly than my story. Tell us about where you grew up and what that was like.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in the island of Sri Lanka. I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian upbringing, Christian home. You know, both my parents were very devout Christians. So all I knew growing up was, you know, going to church on Sundays and making sure that, you know, faith was a very important part of my upbringing. You know, even my grandparents and my great-grandparents were Christians. The beautiful thing is my mother's maiden name was Sanders. And it's very interesting because if you think about generations ago, When a Hindu or a Buddhist converted to Christianity, they took on the name of the missionary that actually baptized them into Christianity. So if you take my mother's lineage back, you know, it was actually American Christians who actually shared the gospel with my great-grandmother, great-grandfather, and so they took on the last name Sanders, and we know that it was an American missionary that actually shared the word of God with my great-grandparents, and that's how we became Christian. And so, why wow. it was a, a beautiful thing. I grew up in Sri Lanka. I came to this country when I was 22 years old to go to university. I was a late bloomer, so I worked for four years. You know, at 18 years old, I was still struggling at, in high school, and my father said, stop wasting your time and my money. And so he asked me to go to work. I worked for four years as a commodity broker, and really enjoyed doing that. And that's when I really fell in love with the game of business and decided that I wanted to study business and marketing very specifically. So that's what brought me to this great country.
0: Wow. I mean, what a story. I don't often hear a lot of stories, you know, from an American viewpoint. Well, and of course, we're all immigrants here. That's, I think, to me, one of the great strengths of America is that we uh, we all think of ourselves that way. At least I do. And, uh, Absolutely. Many generations, but for me, but uh, but I think it's the strength of our nation. But also, to hear about the missionaries, you know? Yep. We think about them being sent, and I mean, heck, some people are sending them to America now, so it's yep. But yep. but But to hear that story, that full circle story, and where you are today from where it was your great-grandparents, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, Converted to Christianity. And I, my guess is, uh, that, was that fairly uncommon to be a Christian? What, uh, forgive me for not knowing the, the exact makeup of, of it, Sri Lanka. From it early.
1: is. So there is about 3% Protestant and another 3% Catholic. So if you count the two of them, you know, only comes up to 6% of the country. But it's an amazing thing that I actually grew up, you know, as a Christian my pastor had gone to Fuller Theological Seminary wow. and also the Westminster Seminary, two very good seminaries in this country. So I grew up, you know, really understanding and learning the Word of God. didn't always abide by it, but, uh, you know, always understood truth. And so that was a very important part of my upbringing.
0: Well, and you don't hear that much either from, for you know, I mean, the missionaries, the, the things I always hear, are some of the, the pastors struggle with education, right? Because it's not so common in that country. So you have to go somewhere else. But that sounds like you, uh, you really heard a lot of pretty solid truth early. Yep, I did. Yep. Amazing. And then, okay, so you're doing the commodities broker thing, but you're doing that in Sri Lanka, right? That's right. Yes. So how did you get to the U.S.?
1: So it was very interesting, right? When I was 20 years old in 1983, Sri Lanka had a bad riot. And, you know, I grew up in the minority community. And even though we were not affected by the riot, it was a very terrible thing, something that our con- the country that I came from is not proud of. And I suddenly realized that this country that I wanted to grow up in, the country that I grew up in, the country that I originated from, was really broken and I really wanted and God had put a desire within me to study. And so I was, I had applied to quite a few universities, a few of them I I got into, but every one of them had a huge price tag to pay. I mean, I don't have to tell the audience about what tuition costs are in this country. And even 36 or 37 years ago, when I came to this country, tuition costs were very high. My father was an honest army officer. My mother was a school teacher. so service was very important to them. And so, you know, being able to pay the tuition in this country was going to be extremely difficult. And I, I, I used to go to a small group then, and I had asked, uh, you know, every time we would pray, the, the leader would ask us whether we had prayer requests, and I had an unspoken request. Which means it's a request that you don't necessarily share with everybody else, but it's something between you and God. And I had actually prayed and my prayer was that I, that God would open a door for me to come to this country. And as faith would have it, fate would have it, you know, there was a family that came from the US. They were on a short time short-term assignment working for the United Nations. My parents met with them and my parents shared with them my desire to come to the U.S. and they decided to allow me to come and stay with them for a year so that I could actually, you know, have a safe landing pad once I came to this country. And so God worked it all out and he aligned it for me to be able to come to this country. I went to a small community college in Michigan for a year and then from there I transferred to Aurora Robles University where I finished with a degree in marketing.
0: So I mean, I'm just picturing your parents. Like, should we say something to them? You know. Yep. Is it five kids now? Yes, five children. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? You know, you know those moments, right? Where you're like, yep. you know, there's your, one of your kids has a desire. Somebody else. Yep. You can't maybe fulfill it, but yep. somebody else it has a connection, and yep. what a big one, right? Yep. To fill this dream of sending them to another nation. I mean, yep saying goodbye. I mean, that's hard enough. Yep. And, and Jeff, oh, Really, that was quite a gift.
1: Yep. I often tell people that my network will always be bigger than my net worth, right? right? And if you think about God, you know, he is the greatest networker of all times, and he's also the greatest steward of all times. And if you think about the Christmas season that we are actually doing this recording, you know, he's the greatest steward because he didn't, he even stewarded his own son Right, in order to, in order that we might be saved, so it's an amazing thing that God did. Right, and He is a great steward. He's a great networker, and and uh, so He knows how to connect the dots. He knows how to align the stars, uh, so that you know those of us who believe in Him, you know, not only do not perish, but that we have the ability to, you know, to live to the fullest potential and the purpose that He has put in us
0: man that is beautiful and i'm i'm still back to this network is greater than net worth i circled that because you know i just think about we talk about generosity a lot on this podcast and i think when people think of that word they often think of money but yep. you know, there's a lot of ways of being generous and uh and i think you know i always think of people when they're on their deathbeds right they never say i wish i had another nickel they always Say, I wish I would have spent more time with the people that mattered the most. And so, community is such an important thing. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do through this podcast is build some community and encourage each other. So,
1: yeah. And I think, and I think it's important for us, Jeff, to be able to to use what God has already given us, right? Uh, and I'll give you a simple example. You know, growing up in Sri Lanka, English is still my second language. Right. And you wouldn't think that it, that itself is an ability or a talent or something that I have. But I remember, you know, being in bankruptcy about five years ago when I bought the second company that I bought from bankruptcy. And I actually used that ability, you know, to let the judge know because, you know, I had taken about 30 people to on my side as a way to be able to support my bid in bankruptcy court. And one of the things I said to the lady judge who was there was, you know, I had about 30 people there and about six of them were Vietnamese heritage. And I had bought everybody lunch that day, but I made sure to buy six Vietnamese hoagies and the rest of them American hoagies because I recognized the ability to be able to distinguish and discriminate what that person needed. Right. And I said to the judge, I said, judge, you know, English is my second language and I know how to communicate to these people. The company that was going against us was actually thinking about buying the company, shutting it down in Philadelphia and moving the company to Ohio. And the judge bought into what I said because I was able to have empathy over the people that I was going to lead. And part of the reason was because I had the ability to be able to speak to people. To whom English is a second language. So, I would really encourage those of those who are listening here to realize that you know we have there are things that God has given us. There are unique abilities, skill sets, talents that He has put in us, and it's for us to be able to see that for what it is. You know, if you think about it on the surface, the fact that I speak English as a second language doesn't look like that's a very that's a that's a distinguished gift. But God actually enabled me to be able to use that differentiation that I had grown up with as a way to be able to show the judge. And it was more than just something that I was selling the judge. I actually do that. Right. I you know, I have a lot of people, including some people from different faiths. You know, I have people who are from the Islamic faith who work for me. And I do a very good job of making sure that I have empathy in the way that I treat them. Whenever we have a company function, you know, we have Hindus who work for us, you know, who are vegetarian. We have people of Islamic faith who are, you know, who are kosher. And I make sure that I take care of the little things because my father used to say to me, he said, son, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves, right? And so I've been, I've been a big proponent of that, of making sure that I am thinking like that. And so it's not just something that I said to the judge. It is the way that I live.
0: Well, there's a lot in there. Actually, those two stories, uh, taking care of the little things. But also, to me, that's also just a form of generosity to your employees and the people around you, and then your sensitivity to... uh Immigrants and what they must be feeling, and maybe they're not so confident in the language or whatever you can sort of sense in the room, uh, even just buying them a meal or speaking to the the judge about it. You know, what comes to me as you say, tell that story is that God does not waste any of our experiences. You know, our ability to minister to other people, a lot of times it's through painful experiences. I mean, that's not. Maybe it wasn't painful, but it's not certainly not an easy experience to come from another country and live with a family that you don't know, and uh, start you know, in a country that with a different language. I mean, I'm sure you'd learn some English growing up, but it's not your yep. primary. I mean, that is not an easy experience, and so, you know, your ability to minister to those newer immigrants versus somebody who hasn't that had that same experience, even if that was a painful experience. God tends to redeem those things, doesn't He? He just all those little things. So I love, love that observation of what are the things that like God always said. You know, like He said to Moses, "What's in your hand?" He's like, "What? Bath?
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yep. He goes, oh, that's plenty. Yeah. Yep. Jeff, I teach on entrepreneurship and stewardship, and one of the things I talk about is start with what you have, right? Because God, just like that story with Moses, or when you think about the story of David, you know, you know we have something in our hands, right? And it's important, it's important, and even if you think about the, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the, is the boy with the fish and the bread, right? He was able to take what he had, and he offered it to the Lord, and the Lord was able to take it, and then he was able to multiply it so that 5,000 people could be fed, right? So, it's a beautiful word picture, if you will, of, You know, the little that we have, we can't underestimate what it is, right? Because if you think about it, everything that has to be created has already been created, right? So God is going to take something that He has already put in front of us as a way to build the next thing, right? And so, you know, I have done some innovation in my company, and it's very important to start with what you have creativity before capital. So these are some of the ingredients that I actually teach about how to become an entrepreneur. So one of the things that I do is I I actually teach entrepreneurship and I talk about these things. Start with what you have, creativity before capital, two of the most significant ingredients as you think in terms of entrepreneurship.
0: I mean, okay, there is so much to cover here. All right, so now let's pick the story back up. Sam, this is amazing. I can feel the uh, wisdom oozing out of you. Okay, so you're studying marketing. Okay. And uh, yeah, I have to admit that when I saw the businesses you run, that was not my first. I was, I'm sure everybody thought you, thinks you studied engineering. Okay. Uh, because you're, you're probably around a lot of engineers. Yeah. But how does a, a kid from Sri Lanka that comes here, goes to junior college, goes to oh, are you studies marketing, end up in the aerospace business?
1: Yep. It's very funny, right? So when I got, when I graduated college, I went to work for a company called Cardone Industries in the automotive aftermarket industry, and I worked there for 12 years, you know, and, uh, and then it did a really good job. I learned all about the automotive aftermarket, and something unfortunate happened where I made a mistake, and because of that, I was let go in the year 2000. And not only was I let go, I had to sign a very restrictive non-compete that I would not compete in the automotive aftermarket for a couple of years. So not only did I have to leave the job that I absolutely loved, I had to then go find gainful employment in a completely different industry. It was almost like God was showing me that I needed to put the nets on the other side. right? And God used that time. I worked for somebody for seven years in the hydraulic seal business. And then after seven years of working for a different company, I started my company in 2007. I called it Parts Life because I had actually come across this name. I didn't quite understand why I was using a name that I'd already come across rather than have an original idea. But I decided to call the company Parts Life and I started to work it. And my idea was to go back into the automotive aftermarket, which I left. But in 2007, for those of you who will remember, it was an extremely difficult time in the economy.
0: It was everybody, and right before 08, the financial crisis hit. And the right. uh, was weaker than people wanted to admit in 07. True.
1: Yeah, and so it was an extremely difficult time to start a business. And after trying my hardest in the automotive aftermarket, you know, God gave me the ability to pivot into the defense industry because I recognized that the defense industry needed a solution that I was very good at. You know, being in the automotive aftermarket, I had learned to do, you know, learn to make parts, learn to reverse engineer, learn to figure out how to create demand when, without any supply. And so I, I used that unique capability that I owned in order to focus on the Department of Defense. And it took me a few years to create success. And it was a very difficult time to, to get there and when I thought I needed a customer, God gave me and my wife, a fifth child, whom I named Savannah Faith, because that is exactly what God was teaching me, right? That, that faith was what was going to take me through. And just when I thought that, you know, Jesus was all I needed, you know, or what I thought I needed was a customer. You know, Jesus was showing me that he is all that I needed. And so it was a very difficult three years, but eventually I was able to create success. And today, we are the premier manufacturer for for product where the OEM is not able to supply a, a part. For instance, the B-52 bomber is one of the most strategic weapon systems that our Department of Defense has. So the recently has Brahman has just launched a new bomber, but the B-52 will continue for another 15 to 20 years. And... The B-52 was created by McDonnell Douglas that that is not a company today. And so the Air Force has a very difficult time to be able to find the parts, replacement parts, to find the parts that are needed in order to have this critical weapon system in the air supporting and defending our country. And happy to tell you that my company actually makes a lot of the parts on the B-52 and also on the ICBM missile system which is actually one of the most lethal weapons that is used out of the B-52. So we are on both of those platforms, and we are excited about it. But God actually used the automotive aftermarket as a way to be able to teach me the things that I know to do.
0: That's just an incredible story. I'm still thinking about this kid growing up in Sri Lanka. Uh, with a little bit of a dream to maybe get to the u s that develops, but I mean I, it's just what it's a uh, what a what an incredible success story and you know one thing that strikes me is you were talking earlier about teaching these entrepreneurial classes, but you spent a long time i don't know if calling it corporate America is fair, but I think so i mean that's if I'm counting it right, almost nineteen years working for larger companies and you know, I, I kind of did the same thing. I worked for kind of these Wall Street firms for 25 years before launching our own company in my, you know, late 40s. And uh, it sounds like you were maybe in your, you know, kind of mid 40s uh, when you did that. And yet, you know, you, it, so, it, it, and what, 15 years, something like that since starting your own business. And I mean, but you started from scratch. It's not like you, you did start out by buying a company, right? You started no. from scratch. And
1: I actually bootstrapped my company. And so- you know, I by working for somebody else, I understood all of the ingredients, all of the infrastructure that it would take in order to grow a large company, right? And so exactly. I had the I had the bandwidth long before I actually did it for myself. So I actually did it for somebody else, right? It's yep. like to use to use a football example, it would be like you know being an assistant coach to a Belichick or an Andy Reid, right? So you learn your trade and you know what to do, what not to do. And so God actually prepared me. If you think about Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So he actually prepared me when I was working for other people so that, you know, I would be able to do what I do well.
0: Well, I think there's a real lesson in that. You know, I used to think, when I started the business, God gave me this vision to do it, that man, it was kind of a bummer maybe that I started so late. And as I got into it, I realized all those years, as we do, were just talking earlier, that even those experiences are not wasted. And I always tell the team, I already made eighty percent of the mistakes you can make in business before we started this thing. We'll make the next 20 together. Okay. Yep. Let's not make the same 80. I mean, if you start something, 25, you just don't have the same level of experience. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. But again, God does not you know, the, the, waste those experiences for us. And, and now, but another thing that I think comes to mind is there might be somebody, uh, running on the treadmill listening to this thing who is maybe starting that business and maybe they're a little bummed out. They're in that first three year period where it's just, I don't know if I'm going to make it, that kind of thing. Were there, I know you talked about trying to get a customer. I mean, is there a vignette or a story you could share us with us about kind of that struggle? Yeah,
1: it was an extremely difficult time for me, right? Because And sometimes it seemed like a cruel joke. You know, there were some contracts that I won that were not funded. You know, I remember waking up at 4.30 and driving all the way down to Indian Head Maryland, which is about three and a half hours from me, and talking to a contracting officer. And the contracting officer tell me that the contract that I won, fair and square, because of pricing, because of a technical ability... And then they tell me that, uh, that this particular contract wasn't funded. And I asked her in desperation, I said, what is it that you would want me to go home and tell my wife? Because, you know, it was such a difficult thing for me to accept, right? But, you know, but God has a way of being able to stretch us. And I truly believe, Jeff, one of the reasons why God allows us to go through those times in the valley is to teach us how to handle success right? Because, you know, while we are well suited to handle failure, it's a more difficult thing to be able to handle success. And if you think about, you know, people who are, you know, who are famous, who are very successful, you know, success can be a very, very difficult thing to be able to handle. And it's only when you go through the valley and if you have gone through some hard time, God is stretching you and showing you that he is able, that he is capable, that all you have to do is to learn to trust him. One of my favorite scripture verses is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's a difficult thing, but we have to learn to trust him in those difficult times. I I think of the the disciples, right, who who were very good at being fishermen. And they were fishing. They knew their craft very well. They knew their industry very well. And they fished all night and they came up with absolutely nothing. Right. And that's how I felt many times. And so there may be listeners who are out there who are feeling and thinking that way. And it's a very lonely place. But God is using those times to prune us. He's using those times for us not to be self-sufficient, but to just learn to trust him and to acknowledge that he is God and that he knows what is the right time. These are not easy times to go through. But he uses these times to perfect and purify us for the work that is in front of us.
0: I mean, that's such a good encouragement because I know, you know, now we're, you know, we're, we're kind of in one of those times where interest rates are rising, the economy's, you know, weakening and all of those kind of things. And there are some people that are starting to suffer and and it uh, and just depends on what business you're in. But if uh, somebody's out there, you know, just, just a word of encouragement to keep at it. Bet, uh, very helpful. So tell us more about it. Okay, so we get this thing off the ground. Sounds like you've made a few acquisitions. Tell us a little more about the business. How has it gone since that early struggle?
1: Yes, I mean, you know, it, it took me quite a few years. I mean, I remember, I remember coming up with a innovation that I didn't even have a, I didn't have the money to even trademark, right? But I trademarked it before I, even before the customer knew they had. A problem. I actually created a solution. I trademarked it, called Rope Rapid Obsolescence Planning and Execution. And today, it's amazing because you know God allowed me or helped me to sell that to the government in a way that they have actually they have actually put contracting vehicles in place in order for us to get quite a bit of work through it. And not only did he enable me to get work, I have created an entire ecosystem. There are other small businesses that are actually. Successful because of the innovation that I created. So you know it's interesting, Jeff. I about five years ago I did a safari in the Masai Mara in Kenya, and you know the first night that I went out, I remember seeing the carcass of a zebra, and I saw this whole den of lions—you know, males, females, cubs—eating off that carcass. The next morning when I went by, there were hyenas you know, feeding from that same carcass. Mm-hmm. That evening, there were vultures. And the next day, you know, the guide was telling me that eventually there would be insects that would be actually feeding on that carcass. So one of, the, one of the principles that I teach is everybody eats. So not only when we create success, it's not just for ourselves, you know, we are able to create an entire ecosystem around our success. And that is my story. So not only was I able to innovate something that God used for me to be able to feed my own family, but now it is actually feeding many, many families because of that. And the solution that I created has now become an entire ecosystem, whereas, you know, there are so many people that are being able to be fed and their families taken care of because of an idea that God gave me and my ability to be able to create something that has not only created success for me and my own family, but, you know, many, many other families. So it's a beautiful thing.
0: I love that. You know, the the picture that comes to my mind is of an abundance mentality. You know, if you've really thought, well, this is the only good idea I'm ever going to have, let me just sell as much of this as I can myself, not really create an organization. I really think it takes faith and an abundance mentality to continue to build an organization. I think a lot of people, A, don't launch a company because of a lot of fear and that sort of thing. And I, I love that you've kept growing because it feels like you have this abundance mentality.
1: Yep. You know, my mother used to tell me, to whom much is given, much is also required. Right. And so, you know, God has given me much and it is my responsibility to be able to live that out. Right. And so um, so I I truly believe in that, you know.
0: Well, and so, of course, this is the Generous Business Owner podcast and you've talked already about things like you're in a courtroom and you're sensitive to the immigrants. You're sensitive to other people of other faiths inside your company Those are, I think, examples of generosity, but I know you've got your own website that we'll link to where you do a lot of speaking. You've got the book, you've got the business, you've got various venues. So when you think of that word generosity, what does that look like maybe inside the company and outside the company?
1: Yeah. So let me give you a couple of examples. So I read a book some years ago written by a Chilean economist, and it's called The Mystery of Capital, where he talks about in a capitalistic society... The number one way that you create collateral is through buying your first home. And I can tell you that I, when I bootstrapped my company in 2007, we sold our larger home as a way to be able to create the capital for that. In 2017, when I had my first acquisition, we actually used our home as collateral to be able to raise the funds to be able to do that acquisition. So, one of the things that I have done, we have about 25 people that work for us who bought their first home because we have a help you buy program, right? So, we actually give people money towards a down payment to their home. They don't have to pay that back, but by working for, for us for so many years, it's a forgivable loan. And so, this is a great way to be able to to help people buy their first home. Oh, I love it. I never heard that before. That's a great idea. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and I've had a, a few other C12 members who have actually taken my model and have started to use it. And if you think about social justice today, right? I read another book called Enabling Us that talks about four things that that you require in order to be able to fundamentally change society. It takes a job, it takes education, it takes healthcare, and a place to live, right? So these are four things that we are looking to do in and through our business, right? So we are making sure that we have training programs in place, whether it is teaching English as a second language, whether it is teaching people, you know, financial management, but also upskill them so that they can continue to develop and to be able to grow In from a training standpoint. We help people with housing. And of course, when you work for us, you get health care and, and, a, and a job, right? And so these are fundamentally how we are working in the business right? But working outside the business, you know, uh, so because I wrote this book, I have actually translated this book into six different languages. You know, there are over a billion people who live in South Asia, like Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, you know, South Africa. If you think about anybody who grew up in an English colony or an English, in in the British Empire, have learned to play cricket. So I'm using the book as a way to be able to build both individual capital and social capital, right? So I've started clubs called Micah Cricket Clubs after the word, after Micah 6-8, where when Prophet Micah asked God, how do I please you? He says, you know, well, comely, you know, love mercy and, uh, you know, can't remember the third principle there, but I've used Micah 6-8 as a way to be able to, as a way to be able to create cricket clubs all over, India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. And if you think about Jesus, right, he used the love language of that day. He used, if you think about it, he used he used you know, the agrarian society. Yes. You know, he talked about farming and he talked about fishing. He used things that were familiar to be able to teach people about the kingdom of God. And so God has given me that opportunity to be able to use this love language of cricket to be able to teach people about life. They said about Joe Pa, the former Penn State football coach, that he used the game of football to teach the game of life. And that is exactly what I'm doing using the game of cricket. So I'm using, you know, very simple principles as a way to be able to teach young people. So if you think about a country like Pakistan, which is 99% Islamic, you know, I have had the opportunity to be able to start several, over 20 cricket clubs in Pakistan alone as a way to be able to bring individuals together, as a way to be able to form cricket teams and to be able to not only to be able to compete, but also to be able to learn lessons from life. You know, things like initiative, things like patience, things like preparation, things like, you know, so we are teaching them, you know, real values as a way for them to be able to get ahead in life.
0: That's amazing. Are all the clubs overseas?
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still to start one in the U.S., but on the other hand, we are in conversations right now about doing something like that in the U.S. as well.
0: How do you find the leaders over there to teach and so forth, or the coaches or however you call them?
1: So we have, you know, again, we have used our network as a way to be able to do that. You know, we have found faithful men and women who are able to, to handle this, you know, who have this dual purpose. And if you think about countries like Pakistan and India, just like it is in the U.S., you know, there is more and more opposition to the gospel, mm. right? And so rather than talk about, you know, sharing Christ, we are talking about a love language of cricket. And this gives us the ability then to be able to build relationship, right? To, because, you know, at the end of the day, faith is about relationship. Right, and so it's a great way to be able to build relationship first, and then from that relationship to be able to share price.
0: I love it. Well, what's so clear to me? One of the things I love about your story is, I mean, it's first of all, it's just a fascinating story of coming from. It's really kind of the American dream, frankly. I mean, that's why everybody comes here. I mean, it's still the lane of opportunity with all its flaws and. And just that story of coming over here, the story of faith in your family over there, your parents' boldness to, you know, maybe kind of ask for a favor um, and to let their son go and do those things. And then uh, you have this host family, you go through this thing, you do the corporate America thing, learn all these lessons. But what I really like is inside the company, right? You're very intentional about these pillars that you're working on and then outside, you know? really helping the place you came from, uh, with their love language, but also with your, your faith knowledge that you've gotten. That, that's just an amazing, uh, is an amazing story. You know, Sam, one of the things that we always try to do when we wrap up again, this is Sam and I were talking before we started recording about really our approach on this podcast is that, you know, it's almost like we're just sitting down and having lunch and, uh, Sometimes when you have a great discussion with a friend, you're like, man, I wish some other people had heard that. That's kind of the way we think of it. So it's really just business owner to business owner, and we've got somebody probably on a treadmill or in their car kind of thinking, man, this sounds amazing. I don't think I can fund 20 cricket clubs uh, in Pakistan or in that part of the country. Uh, I'm not sure I can do a big corporate education thing yet, uh, but I am inspired. Where do I start? So Sam, for somebody just... uh, maybe uh, on the journey a few years behind you, where do you think they start? What's maybe a practical tip they could use?
1: Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, it's, in, it's important to start small, right? You have to be faithful in the little things, you know, and then as you are faithful in the little, you know, and then that's, the, if you think about it, that's the scalability of stewardship, right? If you're not, if, you're, if you can't be faithful with the little, it's very difficult to be entrusted with more, right? So it's important to be faithful in the little things. It's important to learn where you're at. It's to, it's important to grow where you're planted. And when the when the timing when the time is right, you know God will give you the opportunity. He will give you the roadmap. He will give you a name. You know it's very interesting going back to my the name of the company Parts Life. He he helped me to be able to name by comp, name the company long before I realized that the domain that I was going to be in. So the domain that I do now is, you know, we provide, you know, solutions that extend our customers' expensive and mission-critical assets. We are a parts-based company. God gave me the name Parts Life long before he gave me the problem and the solution to be able to solve it. So God is all-knowing. And so not only do we need to trust in ourselves, but we trust in a big God, right? And so we need to learn to trust him and to learn that, you know, he very, he very much wants us to be successful, right? He created us for a purpose. He has given us potential. And it's important for us to be able to be in that environment where our purpose and potential can be fulfilled.
0: Well, Sam, uh, this has been a lot of fun having this conversation today. Thanks for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Dad.
0: And thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.